tune in to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. We have a show that is going to inspire you. If not, it's a great lesson for you. Often we ask ourselves, God, why aren't my prayers getting answered? Constantly you hear me talk about the laws of attraction, how they do and do not work for us. You know, it's really funny. Um, I was doing CBS television this morning uh, in the uh, Houston market. The funniest thing popped in my head. I remember a lady talking to me, and she's, um, she was at a lecture. She said, Dr. Young, all this stuff, you talk about the law of attraction, for some reason, it doesn't work for me. And I know they work, and I have to admit they work, but they just don't work for me. So I looked at this sister, partly heartbroken, partly frustrated, partly bewildered, because what she said was a living contradiction. And I said, well, what is it that you are trying to attract? She said, well, I know this. I don't want a man that's going to be like this, and I don't want to be broke anymore, and I don't want, and I don't want, and I'm, no, actually, I got it wrong. She says, I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that, and I don't want this, and I, and I looked at her, and I just, I said, excuse me, may I interrupt you? And she said, yeah, Dr. Young, what is it? I want an answer, and I said, well, what do you want? The first response out of her mouth was what more she did not want. And I just, it, it's funny to me because, number one, most of us don't understand how prayer works. Prayer works in this format. Whatever you ask God to give you, that is exactly what you get. The problem is God does not listen to our words that is, you know, what happened years when Constantine during the third century started rewriting what we know is to be the biblical text. He left out over 40, well, more plus books. He left out the book of Mary, uh, the book of Pilate. I mean, just left out all of this content. So what we ended up getting is almost like a cliff note version of what we call the modern-day Bible. What we don't understand about prayer is that we figure that prayer is the chanting and it's the praise and it's the worship, when in fact it's none of those things. Those things put you in a position for manifestation, but realize prayer is about demonstrative passion. In other words, uh, Jesus said it best, you know, whatever, it takes faith. You know, without, in, without uh, faith, it is impossible to please God. That, that's a big hint right there. And then another hint is call those things that are not as though they were. So to call something means that you have to know without a doubt that it's available and it can come to you. And then the other thing is that faith without works is dead. So if you're not doing no work, I don't care how much faith you've got, ain't happening. 
However, I'm going to take this thing a step further. If you work out a muscle, doesn't it get bigger? Of course it does. That is what happens with manifestation. The more that you work out toward a desired outcome, the more you uh, receive that result. Now, I I love today's show. Um, I'm going to bring a brother on in a minute, but I want to set this thing up. And I'm not trying to get scriptorial on you guys today. If anything, I'm a scientist that believes in God, loves the Lord, you know, the whole bit. I ain't going to blow that religious smoke up you, but I'm going to say this much. Hear the things I am about to say. Don't, do not be deceived. God is not marked, you know, mocked, I'm sorry. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap, right? Now check this out. To this point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, here, here comes this heart thing again, and it says doing this not reluctantly, not being under compulsion, but, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, and, that, and that's real. And it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you that you have sufficiency in all things at all times, and and you may abound in every good thing that you do. Now, that's point number two. Now, what am, what am I saying? What's Dr. Young telling you today? It gets real simple. If you want back what you've given, and you want it back in good measure, press down, shaking, running together, you know what I'm saying, and you want it to hit you, have you ever stopped to think that maybe you might want to do something that doesn't have anything to do with your selfish behind being at the center of it? And I know for some of y'all, I just took you straight home, and you do not want to hear that statement. But the truth is, the reason why many of us fail having an impartation in our lives is because we are so busy trying to get in where we fit in, trying to be noticed, trying to take journeys uh, in a direction that ends up taking us nowhere. Well, this brother I met, uh, I met him a couple of years ago. I was hanging out with a dear friend of mine, Dr. Simeon L. Queen, and Sim told me, he said, man, I got this cat I want you to meet. And I was, you know, a little young brother, and I'm like, okay, who is he? He said his name is Noah Rattler. And and, and I said, Noah Rattler? I said, uh, I know the name Noah, but I know it's a brother, and he's a little young, so he ain't the one with the ark, so who is he? <laughs> and, and Sim says, man, I just want you to meet him and just listen. So when I met this cat, he was talking about um, doing a lot of different things. I mean, the brother, yeah, you know how you hear people talk, and this brother had a vision that just was far bigger than, uh, I'm just being honest, one of those visions that when you hear it, you go, Negro, if you do this, well, I'm, I know I've got a lot of Anglo fans and my Middle Eastern brothers out there, but, you know, just go with you, boy. You know Dr. D is kind of thrown, but I'm going to throw it at you. He said, he said, man, well, one of the things I want to raise awareness for the homeless. And I'm like going, really? Okay, so what do you have in mind? And I'm ready to hear, you know, this same old stuff. I'm going to get some clothes. I'm going to, uh, you know, raise some money. I'm going to try to open up a day home, you know, just whatever. This cat actually said, you know what, I'm going to walk for the homeless. I'm like, that ain't new. I mean, you know, who doesn't walk? 
And, he, and the brother said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk across the country. And right about then, you know, I'm going, either this brother is young and passionate and just talking a lot, or he's, he's crazy. One of the two. Well, turned out to be neither. This brother was committed. This dude, ladies and gentlemen, started walking from Houston, Texas, to the Pacific Ocean. Now, I, being honest, some of us, including you that are listening, I, I'm, I'm not going to say my friends in the Virgin Islands. I'm going to say what's up to you guys right now and to my listeners, uh, you know, in Egypt and to the people in Barbados. I already know you guys aren't as lazy as uh, the people here on the mainland in America, but we're some lazy butts. I mean, we get ticked off when we have to walk from the end of a parking lot in a store, let alone uh, go and do a hike. Now, you know, some of my Anglo brothers and sisters, y'all are all about walking, and you, y'all love that walking and getting chased by mountain lions and stuff. That's You don't see black people doing that like you see very few of us swimming out there with dolphins and whales. It's just certain things that we don't do. But this brother Noah took things to a whole new level. He actually walked from Houston, Texas, to L.A., to, I mean, just, it, it's hard to believe, but without further ado, I'm getting ready to bring him on. Hello, world, Mr. Noah Rattler. Noah, what's good with it, man? Dr. Young, I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's great. Man, I was hanging out with, uh, I had the pleasure of you coming over to CBS this morning, and I shared your story with uh, Deborah Duncan. I shared your story with some producers there as well as a few guests, and everyone I shared that story with was just in awe. And, uh, you know, we love to cheer people on, like guys that jump out of hot air balloons in the stratosphere, you know, uh, somebody like you. What in the hell makes you guys do something like that? I'm curious. What made you do it? Um, I guess if I had to pick one thing, it's a realization that I came to, that life is short. You only have so many minutes here, so many seconds, and you can you can spend them. It's like a bank. You can spend the cash in there how you want to, but once the money's gone, you don't get it back. And so I figured when I decided to do this, what would I have rather spent this money on, this capital of time, this pr- priceless commodity of time on uh Making money. I just finished studying mechanical engineering and physics. Got two degrees from Prairie View. Or mm-hmm. doing this crazy, amazing thing that might be able to inspire a bunch of people, uh, raise awareness for homelessness, change the dynamic about how my community sees itself and how it interacts with the world, play a little part in making things better. And uh, it was it was pretty. Once I asked myself that question, I spent my money on on the road, putting my feet to the pavement. Question, when people decide that they're going to do the, you know, the MS-150, which uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with that, in Texas they have this bike ride that's 150 miles, and it is not a joke. It's up and down a bunch of hills. It's our discount version of the Tour de France. But, you know, (laughs) walking that far and connecting that to homelessness, how do those two things come together, Noah? But it was kind of odd in a way. It wasn't – I had been thinking about walking for some time because I really enjoyed it. 
and I like to challenge myself, and I like to think big. But I wasn't really serious about it until I started volunteering at Search Homeless Services trying to learn more about mental illness and how it affects people in communities that can't afford to get professional care. And so following that line, I realized, I found out that a bunch of people get treatment for mental illness in the penitentiary, and a bunch of those people wind up being homeless. Those either go to the penitentiary or if they don't, a lot of people wind up being homeless. So that's how I wound up volunteering. And while I was volunteering, I was thinking about this walk, thinking about the walk. And the idea, somebody suggested it to me, actually, um, you know, if you walk, you could probably bring a bunch of attention, raise a bunch of money for this organization. I was like, you know what, let's try it. It could also raise a bunch of awareness because people don't understand how deep and complex homelessness is. On a general level, we don't really understand it unless we have been through it or have a family member that's in it. Um, and so that's how the two came together. I was doing two separate things, and circumstances twisted. The universe kind of bent in a way to make it make it make those two things one, and now they're both a part of my life. Well, I, okay, so now I'm putting myself in your shoes. You know, I, I literally I do not want to put myself in your shoes because my feet would be killing me. But I, 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 yeah, hey, man, just being real. But I'm thinking about this, and I, I'm putting myself in your shoes. So I'm sitting in my office in Holland Village um, in a, you know, rather ritzy little part of Houston, Texas, at, you know, doing this program, looking out the window. I'm thinking about what you're doing, putting on your shoes that day, possibly getting a backpack together, and walking out your door, putting the key in, turning the lock. What were your thoughts after you took that first step? It was actually a relief. It was a huge relief because it was a pretty big production. Um, working with Search, they wanted to really get the, the fundraising thing off the ground. I understand because the organizations that serve the homeless are always dealing with the lack of funding coming from their normal funding sources. And so we went to the media. All my friends and family knew about it. People across the city saw it on the news and heard about it on the radio. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was some, a, a huge sense of anxiety or something in the buildup to it. And once it started, had my little send-off, few people walk with me for a couple of blocks, and my homeboy walked with me for the first two days. Those first steps were a relief that it was actually happening, and I could move on to the next thing. It's almost like the anticipation was, I don't know, it was, it was huge, and it was almost mind-numbing, the anticipation of it. But once it started, I had something to focus on right here, right now, and that's something out in the future that may or may not happen. I had to focus on which way am I going to turn left to get out of downtown Houston? Um, am I going to take a break before I get to Greens Point? Uh, how far am I going to have to walk before I take a water break and use the restroom? I got to plan my stops and that type of thing. A lot of it was planned out, but the real world, once the plan starts, the real world laughs at it. And so it was a relief, those first few steps, to actually be starting on this monumental task. As you're walking, I can imagine, you know, at first people just see, and especially an African-American man um, walking, 
they don't even notice. You know, it's okay. It's another brother out here walking. And then I'm assuming by the time you hit a freeway, people kind of look at you like, what in the hell is he doing way out here on the freeway walking? And everyone is thinking everything from are you a vet? You know, because a lot of guys come back with post-traumatic stress disorder and they feel more comfortable out in the wild than they do um, in the city. Or other people, car just breaks down and they don't have any money, so they start walking. But while you're walking, my, I guess my first thought, man, is now you're going down this road. You've gone where you look back and you don't see the city anymore. And all you see is highway and trees, birds. And I'm assuming, what what time of year was it when you did this? It, it covered a couple of seasons. I left on March 24th. Um, left Houston on March 24th. Heading up towards Dallas, and I walked down to the Mojave Desert in the L.A. County in, in late July into August. Oh, okay, okay. So let's just let's just go here with it. So now you walk, you don't see the city. Um, right. The sun is setting. So while it's daylight, I know the walk is pretty cool, you know, pretty cool, because you can see what's around you. Nothing's really going to catch you by surprise. But, brother, tell me what it was like. When the sun starts setting, and people don't realize something, at night it is dark, especially if you are not in the city. It's a different kind of dark. And there, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, there is still a great deal of wildlife because I know for you guys that live on the islands and you guys that live in rural areas, you, you know about the wildlife, but for a city boy, and you walking in the middle of the highway at night, I know you're hearing some howling, some growling, some stuff moving in the bushes. Tell me, what, what, how did that feel? You know, what did that invoke in terms of fear and, and belief or visitations to thinking of what ancestors may have gone through? Tell us about that. It, it, that um, really got me to thinking a lot about the Underground Railroad and – how the moon was the guiding star oftentimes um, and how difficult it must have been when the moon wasn't out. Because the moon can be very bright at night when there are no lights out. It seems like it's dark out there, but if, the, if you have a clear sky and the moon out, it can light from horizon to horizon. It's very dim and subtle, but you get it. Your eyes adjust to it. When the clouds come over, there's nothing to see. Um, and so I, my main goal when the sun went down was to do my best to move as fast as possible to get to the support vehicle, wherever it may have been parked. So that was home for several, uh, for the duration of the journey. And I walked against traffic. The fear of animals was pretty much alleviated after my first couple of weeks out there because I never saw anything at night while I was walking because I think, I mean, this is my theory, wild animals know the ones who survive to become older know to stay away from the free, the highway um, and stay, just stay away from the highway. And so I would walk and be blinded by the headlights because I walked against traffic. But the fear of what I was doing got to a level to where it was really easily manageable if I had to walk at night. I didn't really have to um, work. I didn't worry about wild animals. One day it was in Arizona somewhere. I just walked in Arizona, 
and it was dark, and I had like three hours to go. The sun had already went down, and I didn't hear it, but a car drove by me, and this 500-pound animal was standing like three feet to my left, <laughs> and I almost had a heart attack, but it was a cow. And so <laughs> that freaked me out. I'll get out. But um, that was like my only real scare at night to do the animals. And it helped motivate me to not be out there after dark. <laughs> when when that happened, um, there had to be some experiences, not only with animals, but with people. While you're going along the way, what were some of the biggest disappointments you experienced as it relates to coming in contact with humanity? There are a couple of things that happened that verified some of the fear that I had in my heart about what could possibly happen. And the most direct thing is that people actually pulled off the road and tried to hit me a couple of times. I was on my way out of Albuquerque, like mile 917 on the journey. And the day was almost to an end. I was about to exit the freeway. And someone pulled on the on-ramp, and they may have been doing 50, 60 miles an hour. And when they saw me, they pulled off onto the shoulder where I was walking. And they didn't slow down. They didn't blow their horn or anything. They just pulled over onto the shoulder like they merged, like, like they switched lanes. They didn't slow down. And had I not moved, I would have been killed right there. Wow. Um, I was fortunate enough to be, to be paying attention. So I could move in time, and, and I moved. They drove through where I was standing, and they got back on the road and just kept going. It also happened with an 18-wheeler later in um, Arizona. It was one afternoon, and I was on a bridge, and the 18-wheeler swerved off onto the shoulder, and there was very little room, but I did get out of the way. And it drove by me, didn't blow his horn or anything, didn't blink his lights, anything. It never slowed down. It just kept going. And by that time, I was the pain was starting to set in, so I couldn't even be upset about it. I was in such in, in enough pain to be to be uh, have my mind wrapped around something else, and I didn't really think about it until later. The um, but then on the other side, there've been some really wonderful experiences. I passed through this town outside of Wichita Falls, Texas. And everybody was like, no, I don't stop in this town. It's a racist town. Uh, if you have to use a restroom, just keep going to the next little city. If they hadn't told me that, I probably wouldn't have had to use a restroom. But because they told me that, I had to use a restroom. I stopped and walked into the grocery store, and this guy was following around behind me, dressed in this cowboy get-up with his hat on and tight pants and, and cowboy boots and with his John Wayne walk, and he had a real – stern, almost scowl on his face as he was following me around the store. And I was trying to just mind my business, but I I, I couldn't avoid him, so I, I stopped in there to see what he wanted. And he basically said, uh, man, I see what you're doing. I see your sign, and I don't know. I want to help you somehow. Can me and my wife just get, uh, give you a place to sleep for the night or in, in a meal so to help you on your way? So I thought this was going to be this confrontation, and he was almost in tears at what I was doing. And that was a really deep confirmation in the positive side of what's out there, and that's love, man. People are full of love one way or the other. People are also kind of – and then you got people who are full of fear, 
And I think that has something to do with those folk who pulled off the road trying to hit me and stuff. Uh, a couple of folk who threw things at me while I was walking and yelled out the window. But I experienced a lot of love as well, so that kind of helped me keep going. No, I, I want to ask this question because I wasn't going to – I purposely was not going to ask you a question like that, but I have to since you brought it up. What kind of things did you get called? Because we live in a culture that we take so for granted being respected. You know, we forget that it was only a few short years back when if you were a woman, you couldn't get equal pay. And for a lot of women, it's still true. Or if you were a Hispanic or an African-American or an Asian or you were brown skin or, you know, or even now, a lot of my brothers and sisters that are Muslims and that wear traditional dress, you know, and that are Arabs, they get look funny. People wonder, okay, you're going to blow up a building or whatever. But we've forgotten in ways how cruel humanity can be. What were some of the things that people shouted out at you, and what were some of the things that got thrown at you? Well, it was um, most of the stuff people would shout, and that's like out in the desert, it was mostly indiscernible. I wouldn't be paying attention. I'm focusing on what I'm doing. I hear somebody yelling, I turn around, and they're waving out the window. they fist-shaking or something like that. A couple of times, uh, and that was just as most of the kids, would throw sodas and stuff out the, out the window. No one ever hit me with anything. <clears throat> I do have a very specific instance that's um, almost on the record. Uh, Jerry Fuller, my support vehicle driver from Dallas to Los Angeles, we had a CB radio on the vehicle. And so she would listen to the, vi- to the, to the chatter from the truckers on the road as I was walking, and they would kind of report. They would report to each other what was going on, and she just listened to those reports for intelligence on, on how I was doing because um, we didn't have real well, really good communication between each other out in the mountains and stuff. And one guy... Uh, one of the truckers said, uh, I guess I'm going to drop an end bomb. Can I say that on there, the, the N-word? Uh, well, we know what it means. We, we know it. All right. So someone said, hey, there's an N-word. Somebody ought to hit him. And truckers seem to talk. From what I hear, truckers talk a lot on the CB radio when they out when you're out way out in the distance. Uh, once mm-hmm. he said that, everybody got quiet. Nobody said anything. And I didn't hear it, of course, but Jerry reported it to me. And she gave me the impression that people said stuff like that often. She just didn't tell me about it, except for on that occasion. But as far as I can tell, that no one to my face, I had no direct confrontations with people that were harmful, like outside of the people trying to hit me with their vehicles. Like I say, a couple of instances where I thought someone was about to do something, and this was going to be that moment, and Scarface said this, is you just my test or is you just my time? Um, this I thought I was. I came across a couple of those moments where I thought I was about to be tested in this other dynamic that I wasn't really trying to play play a part in, in this racial racism dynamic, and this hate, this hate dynamic. But um, the most intense situations always turn out to be something pleasant. Wow! I think what man, we're gonna come back. Uh, one thing I want us to listen to, and the reason that I titled this show about getting your blessing, you know, the guarantee in getting your blessing and reaping what you sow, I want you guys to really pay attention because the second part of this program, 
Uh, I'm using this dialogue to set it up. There's so much here, and I don't want you to miss any of it. But right now, I have a friend named Alexis Spite. She was, uh, if you watch BT's uh, Sunday Best, you probably know her. She was a runner-up. She has now had many, many hit records. And Alexis left a little track with me. It's from her Living Out Loud album, and it's called Live Right Now. And I think, well, if nobody has done that, Noah Wright, Ratliff has definitely been living right now. We'll be right back with more of Noah after this. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. We'll be right back in about three minutes. Conversation, irreplaceable day. What can I do about what's gone? It's like holding on to the fall. It's impossible. A deniable nature, uncontrollable pain, understandable emotion, unconditional faith. What can I do about what's lost?
Sunday best. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young, and today we are talking about guaranteeing manifestation in your life, and how is it that you can guarantee that you're going to get a blessing? Well, I, I want you to check this out. We reap in proportion to what we sow. The promise and the warm uh, warning of all scriptures is that you do reap what you sow. This means that life's choices are filled with consequences, both good and bad, temporal and eternal. Reaping what we sow, however, means we reap only what has been sown. We reap in kind as we sow. We reap in different seasons than we sow, but we always reap more than what we sow. Uh, today I'm talking with Noah Radliff. This this brother has done some phenomenal. Um, the first part of this program was really just a setup. Yeah, that's right. I, you guys were being set up. Uh, is this a true story? It is definitely a true story. The thing that I want you to be aware of is this. I know, like, if you go ride along in Alaska, which is so beautiful, it, it, you'll see this, uh, a sign that reads, choose your rut carefully because you will be in it for the next 200 miles. And this is, in my impression, is telling you whatever it is you're going to plant, it's going to be multiplied, man. So if you plant bad stuff, you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff happen to you. If you plant some beautiful things like our guest today did, I think you can find some beauty in it. Now, often, here's where we blow it. We confuse how God blesses us. We always think, well, God, can I have some more shoes? Can I have some more money? Can I have this? Can I have that? Seldom do we stop to think about what is it you are really gifting me. And what I have found, uh, Noah, is that the things that God has given me, money can't buy them. The things that really matter. You know, I have a lot of people, uh, they look at this outside image and thank you, Mark Gamble, and thank you, Ray Nice, and thank you, Jaylene Mack, and, you know, the people that are part of my team. Uh, you know, I, Deborah, I, I really love you guys, but the things that really give me satisfaction, nobody sees that. And that's all the times that I'm at my wits end, crying out loud, frustrated as hell, and God says, enough is enough. Here you go. Here's a little something, something for what. I just wanted to see if you were committed. I just wanted to see if you were sincere, D. And, man, now that I see that you are, I'm going to reward you. Noah, tell me about the rewarding part of this beautiful experience you've had. There was – they they say the, the, the best things in life are free. Um, I'm not going to exactly agree with that, but I will agree <laughs> with you when you said you can't pay for this stuff. You can't go to the spring and buy this. Um, there is a sense of self that I gained that I'm not sure I would have been able to get in any other way. And and that is not necessarily a sense of who I am, but more of a sense of what I am in perspective to those around me and what, what I am. In perspective, in perspective of thing of what of my environment, it's, it's like I understand how I'm plugged into this thing on a much deeper level than I think I would have ever understood before, and it's continually happening. I am, I've been, I, I've, it's like I've been rewarded this sense of peace and understanding that I can't imagine another way 
to get it. I can't imagine how one would go about getting it. I, and, and I think I've heard other people talk about, about getting it in different ways. Some talk about similar things in different ways. But for me, it's like I, the, my clarity of purpose and the focus that I have on where I am, why I'm here, is beyond... I don't. I don't have the, the vocabulary to adequately explain it. There, the best way I can say it, uh, Dr. Young, I, I have an understanding of, of myself and those around me and how I fit, how we all fit together. That is, it's beautiful, and it is inspiring to me, and it helps me continue to do the things that I've done to take the path that I've chosen to take. And I think it's having an impact. I'm not sure how that – go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let me ask a quick question. What you're describing, Noah, sounds almost like a near-death experience, but you didn't come near death. And and I I know – I'll elaborate – In my quest, I have a master's degree in metaphysics, and one of the things that I have been very curious about is the transcendence between the two dichotomies in which we exist. One, we are this eternal being that has a connection to all uh, omniscience. We we, we are omniscient. We are omnipotent. We are connected to the source, meaning God. There's this part of us that is just so perfect that's not subject to criticism and to fear and to disdain and to the, all these mediocre elements in the human condition. However, there's this other part of us that is very much validated by what other people do and say. There's this other part of us that wants just because we know something exists. In other words, if you didn't know a Bentley exists, you wouldn't want one. But once you find out and you better not ride and run, well, now you don't want you don't want a Chevrolet no more. You don't want even a Cadillac. You don't even want a Mercedes. You want a Bentley. In other words, we are in flesh, and the things of flesh definitely dominate us. Or to take it from another standpoint, there is such a uh, disparity that exists between who we really are, meaning the spiritual, eternal part of ourselves. And we keep trying to pray, fast, uh, meditate, give pastor $10, whatever the hell we want we can do. But trying to find just a, a connection to something that's already inside of us. We keep reaching without when what we really are looking for is within. What it sounds like is that's what it sounds like you're describing. My question for you is this. Give me a couple of examples of moments because our listeners right now are missing out on the biggest part of what it is that they have really been blessed with because it ain't things that money can buy. So tell me when you were walking and describe, take me there, paint a picture, tell me what you saw, what you heard, what you smelled, what you felt when you had a couple of these epiphanies that, you know what, something magical is taking place right now. The biggest example, I'll give you the biggest example. The day I walked in California, it was like 120 degrees in Mojave Desert. It burned my my right foot. I had, it was blistered for months after it lost a sense of touching my outer two toes. Um, it was oppressively hot. And it was. It, it seemed like I was walking. It was just me 
and I was carrying the sun on my shoulder. And it took me a while to get used to that. Um, I did. What I realized, and I'm going to use the word that you use, and this is the best thing I've been able to use, the best term I've been able to use to explain it. I was in between these two little strips of mountains, walking through the Mojave Desert, getting close to 29 palms up in that area. And I realized that I felt this connection. And that connection was ubiquitous throughout me, and it it felt as if that dichotomy disappeared that you spoke about. There was wow. no separation between the temp the temporary, which is me, and the and the infinite. I felt like I, there was no disconnect. I didn't feel disconnected. I was plugged in on a level that I didn't. I had no reference point for. And as what I was sitting in I'm, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but what you just described is reaching the Zen state. And I can, I can just for our listeners so you guys can really dig where we are with this, I was, uh, there was a yogi, and I don't mean yogi the bad doggone it with boo-boo. I mean a yogi <laughs> at Middle Eastern uh, holy man. And, you know, these cats can levitate. I mean, really, like David Blaine, like lift themselves off the ground with nothing holding them up, like two or three feet, five feet in the air. The, I, one of them, he took a, a sharp, uh, it wasn't a sword, but it damn sure wasn't no kitchen knife either, right in the middle, and stuck uh-huh. it through his arm, and no blood came out, right? So uh-huh. somebody walks in the room, some Westerner, you know it had to be one of us from the West, ignorant said something, and blood started trickling out, and the yogi just closed his eyes back and it stopped bleeding again, you know. And and that is samate is is in the Ayurvedic is, you know, it's transcendent. It it is becoming one with the the chi, the yin and yang meet in the middle, and you become part of all that is, is, is the best way to describe this. What I want to ask you is, as you examine yourself exploring these transcendent states, what spiritual gifts were revealed to you that you did not know you had until you engaged this process? Uh, the the only answer I can I can give is I, while I was in it. In that state, there was no forward, no backwards, no future, no past. There was only now. And it was a universal now. Touching on what you just said about the yoga and the Westerner came in and blood started coming out because they pulled them out of the state temporarily. When I walked back into the city, I felt like I was that state, that, that peace, whatever it was, was ripped out of me. And it was a very traumatic experience. Um, and so I've been since trying to really understand what happened to me. And I don't know if this is a gift or not. It might be. I remember as I was training, since I'm talking to you, you may understand this. 
as I was training um, and getting ready to go, I was doing a bunch of meditation and fasting and walking. Walking in itself is a form of meditation that most people uh, sleep on, but it's the best form of meditation in my eyes. My mind would sync up with the people around me, the people close to me. So if someone had a thought, I had that thought oftentimes. And that happened more and more and more. When the walk happened, people would, their behavior would change towards me in some form or fashion. I don't know if that that was attributed to the walk or not, but it was always a, 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 a tendency towards peace generally, uh, every, except for every now and then something dramatic. Certain specific people would have an adverse reaction, and they would have a hostility towards me. Um, but outside of that, that sense of seeing where I am from outside of me and how I fit, and it had, if you asked me if I were to talk to tried to make that up and write about it in a book, I'd say it was a fictional book and that it was some sort of strange power. But it, it, it wasn't. I couldn't, like, tell the future anything. It was just a clarity that is hard to get, that I found is hard to get in, um, in our conventional ways of thinking. And I, don't, I really don't know how it happened and where it went, per se. I just know the further away I got from being out there in the desert, being out there in the, in the, in, in the wilderness, in the peace, in, in the sun, in the wind, baptized by the fire, you know, them burning sand, um, the more difficult it was to really exist in that. But there's a clarity. I think the, the biggest spiritual gift was a clarity, a sense of clarity and non-confusion about place and time and how I fit into it. Wow. No, I, I got to do this for some of our listeners. Um, what I understand that there is a, a self-actualization that took place. I also understand that there were some times that you got to do some introspection. This next question is probably the most profound and, and the deepest one I could ask you. Did God show you his face while you were doing this? When I got back, my neighbor across the street from me said, he, he didn't ask me, he looked at me, he said, Noah, you had a conversation with God in that desert, didn't you? And I was about to say no, but then I really thought about it. And I do. Ha- I did see, I, didn't, I don't know if I saw God's face, but I saw our face. I know I saw our face, what humanity really is and what it really looks like and what we can possibly be. Um, and that that was revealed to me. And the possibilities are beautiful, beyond comprehension. This didn't necessarily just happen in the desert. It started the day I started walking because I didn't listen to music the majority of my time was out on the road walking and looking inside, listening. And as I met different people, um, came across different situations, I'm walking through the, through the reservation and I see stuff, uh, living conditions and mental uh, memes and psychological, uh, collective psychological states that reminded me of being in South Park or being in Third World in the Hood in Houston or being in the hood in Dallas, or being in the hood in California, 
and seeing how similar we were, it connection that I felt, I began to see how it wasn't just me with this connection, how all of us, there is no real separation between me and you. Mm-hmm. There is no separation between myself and the person who may be, be listening to this in Kansas City. There is no real separation. The separation is, a, is almost an illusion of our perspective of being born here as individuals, connection that we all have to each other, and inside, that connection is inside of us. You have to look inside to find that connection, though. You can't go outside searching for it. And that time I spent alone, pounding the pavement, mile after mile, day after day, week after week, month after month, rain, uh, shine, snow, wind, uh, heat, cool, reinforced and, and helped me pull that from inside. That there is no, there really is, there's only so much of I in me. Most of me is us. Wow. That I'm, that is uh, that's a huge statement. Tell, I guess uh, going going into the last couple of minutes, you know, uh, tell uh, tell us the message that you believe God has for all of us, and sowing on the behalf of others. Because here's what I what I learned from, and this is why I titled the show the way I did. That's why. I, was saying guaranteeing your blessings reaping from what you sow is that you went out to do this for someone else. You went out to do this for people you did and did not know, the the homeless people, the homeless population. Um, I've worked with a lot of homeless people, and they say they feel invisible. You know, just I've been through all of the uh, politically correct rhetoric as it relates to, you know, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, but these people radar uh, the other 363 days during the year. But those two days, everybody thinks about somebody homeless. But my, I guess my big question is, you were doing something for some for others, but in the end, do you feel that you really ended up getting a lot more for yourself than you ever thought you'd get out of this? I did. I did. There is a – and in, in the way I see myself, when I do for others, I am doing for myself because there's no separation. There's very little separation between me and you. So when I do something for you, whether or not someone pays it back to me, I'm, I'm, I'm investing in myself by giving to you. I'm investing in myself. That was a huge investment in who I am and I, who I hope to grow into, who I hope to become. That walk itself is what that was, an investment in myself by giving to the to people who don't know me, may never meet me, may never hear my name. It's not just the homeless that I was raising awareness for. This was an attempt to, like I said earlier, contribute in a way to the philosophy of our culture through the kids in my neighborhood. I just did the children's book called Noah's Walk, and it tells the story of the walk, and it is an investment in my community, a way to tell children in the children, these generations that I may never see, 
about what happened as to use that as an example of how they can pay it forward. So there are benefits, like Martin Luther King said, like Moses said. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get there with you, and that's okay. Whether I get there or not, it's not really important. What's important is that I contributed until the rest of us getting there. And if three generations down the line, someone, the fourth generation, the fourth generation makes it to that place, then I'm there because there is no separation. And so in a way it was selfish because what benefits everyone benefits me, what benefits me benefits everyone else. In a way it was selfless because I wasn't necessarily trying to get any return back. I wasn't trying to get any financial return back. I'm not trying to. I wasn't trying to get any um, any clout, claps on the back end of that stuff. I was trying to get people to pay attention to the to our brothers and sisters who don't have what others of us have, so they can help exercise that muscle of empathy. And the muscle of empathy, when it's working, you exercise your arm by doing curls. But when it's working, you do other things. When it's working. It's a, it expresses itself as active compassion. So my effort is paid back to me and other people expressing active compassion to other people. And that's happened more than I expected it to happen. I get stories every now and then about how someone heard what I did and turned that. They recycled that in their mind and expressed it in other ways, and that's, that's that's hey, if I get hit by a car walking down the street this evening, it was well worth the effort. Wow, that that's really deep, man. I want to thank you for taking a moment out uh, to spend some quality time with us. Um, this has changed a lot of lives, especially not only your life but anyone that can hear this story. I know today, everyone at CBS was really just in awe of your commitment, and I want to thank you personally for taking that step because, as you said, we are all connected. So part of me got some enlightenment from that journey, and I'm I'm very grateful for your contribution not only to uh, to the war against homelessness and the war against lack and poverty, but more than anything, I'm grateful for your contribution to humanity because it is very significant, Noah. How can people get in contact with you if they want to hear more about your journey or purchase uh, the book or have you come and talk to their organization or to their youth groups? How can they reach you, man? I am pretty well plugged in to just about to a majority of the social media platforms. So if they go to you just Noah Rattler on Google+, Plus, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you can think of, MySpace, Noah, N-O-A-H, Rattler, R-A-T-T-L-E-R. Noah like the art, Rattler like the snake. You can find me. The book is housed on my co-author's website, Nikisha Pickney. Um, it was actually her idea to do the book. It's freeheartoftruth.com. And you can also find it. The quickest way to get it would be just go to Amazon and order it and and hit us up. Now, if you want to, like, it, go to Facebook and Twitter or Google+, Plus, Noah Rattler, and find me. If you want us to come to your school, and talk to the children to come out to your community, talk to your community organization. Um, like, the, like the old show, my parents turned me on to, have gun, we'll travel, I have book, we'll travel. I'll come there and, and bring it to you and talk to the kids and try to leave with them the, the message, the idea 
that one person can make a difference, and if one person can make a difference together, we can change the world. So that's the best the best way to get us. Just 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 hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Google, and I will hit you back. I'm pretty active on this. This is what I do. Okay, hey man, it's been a, a pleasure having you on today, and uh, you're definitely welcome back. Next time you decide to do and take one of those long journeys and long walks. Dude, don't call me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> call me. Keep it real, Doctor. Yeah, keep it real. It's been an honor, man. I really appreciate you uh, pulling me on and giving me the opportunity to to talk about it. It's um, this is. I think this is important. I think this is important, and I appreciate you giving. I'm honored to have had the opportunity to speak to you on the show. Hey, man. Uh, just uh, the feeling is mutual, and I know for a fact if. Only one person heard what you said today, and it resonated in such a way that it brought transformation and transcendence to their lives. You, it was worth every bit of your effort. You know, all you have to do is just affect one life, man, and you've affected many. So we love you, and thank you for being our guest today, Noah. Love you too, bro. You're welcome. My all right. pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Noah Rattler. Uh, just I, I, that was just phenomenal. You know, typically I'm, I've been doing these shows, uh, just trying to in, empower and enable and get us to look at things like loneliness and relatedness and love and relationships. But sometimes we have to really look at in our quest and all our getting. God, you know, we keep wanting things, and God is trying to give us something so much more valuable. He's trying to give us awareness and a sense of purpose and a sense of understanding because all of the things that you buy, ladies and gentlemen, just being totally straight with you, you are buying these things in hopes that it will give you some fulfillment and that you will feel a sense of completion in your life when, in fact, you're talking to Mr. Things, and out of everything that I've ever had, little, if any of it, has brought me satisfaction, and especially no satisfaction greater than being able to t- reach out and touch and help someone else's life. So here's a little housekeeping. If you haven't registered, go to Dr. D. Yvonne Young, that's D-R-D-I-V-A-N-Y-O-U-N-G.com, and make sure you sign up so that way you can receive content like this. Um, it's valuable. It's life-changing. And on one of those days, you're going to wish you had something like this to listen to, if not today. The other thing is hit the like button on Facebook. We definitely want you to do that. I'm doing a lot of touring this summer and a lot of speaking engagements. The calendar's filling up. So make sure that you call. And uh, you can hit Rainice Edwards up on Facebook and We'll have, uh, or you can just go to the website and, you know, pull the press kit and what have you, and uh, let's sit down and talk about it. I mean, yeah, it costs a little money, but I promise you, if you can't invest in yourself, you know, why would anybody else invest in you? So let's make the world a better place, and let's do this one person at a time. Last but not least, I want to say thank you so much to uh, all of you for supporting this programming as well as all the other things that um, – all the other wonderful things that we have an opportunity to do with and for you. With that said, this is another wrap, and I love you. Have a great weekend, and we will be talking to you Sunday night at 730. You've been listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Have an awesome weekend. Be safe now. Bye-bye.